Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says. Folks, today I'm going to attempt something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but just didn't feel qualified. I'm going to read you Washington's Farewell Address. Now, this is a document I think ought to be right up there with the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, but we don't even teach it anymore in our schools. George Washington was a genius. He's called the father of our country for good reason. And when I attempt to read his farewell address, you'll notice I'll stumble over some words. He used big words. He can't accuse George Washington of being an uneducated man. He used big words, but when you stop and, and look them up, you'll find they fit exactly what he intended them to do. I'm going to attempt to read this, and I'll do it the best I can, but I know I'm going to uh, be subject to a lot of criticism as I do it. Please, go on Google and look up George Washington's farewell address and read it slowly. Read it slowly. Try to understand as you go. It's, it's a document that he gave at the last of his presidency to teach our nation how to be a good nation and for us how to be a good God-fearing people. So here goes. Friends and fellow citizens, the period for a new election of a citizen to administer the executive government of the United States being not far distant, and the time actually arrived when your thoughts must be employed in designated the, designating the person who is to be clothed with that important trust. It appears to me proper, especially as it may conduce to a more distinct expression of the public voice, that I should now apprise you of the resolution I have formed to decline being considered among the number of those out of whom a choice is to be made. Here perhaps I ought to stop, but a solicitude for your welfare which cannot end with my life, and the apprehension of danger natural to that solicitude, urge me on an occasion like the present to offer to your solemn contemplation and to recommend to your frequent review some sentiments which are the result of much reflection and of no inconsiderable observation and which appear to me all important to the permanency of your felicity as a people." interwoven as is the love of liberty with every ligament of your hearts no recommendation of mine is necessary to fortify or confirm the attachment the unity of government which constitutes you one people is also now dear to you it is justly so for it is a main pillar in the edifice of your real independence the support of your tranquility at home, your peace abroad, 
of your safety, of your prosperity, of that very liberty which you so highly prize. But as it is easy to foresee that from different causes and from different quarters much pains will be taken, many artifices employed to weaken your minds, the conviction of this truth. As this is the point of your political fortress against which the batteries of internal and external enemies will be most constantly and actively, though often covertly and insidiously directed, it is of infinite moment that you should properly estimate the immense value of your national union to your collective and individual happiness, that you should cherish a cordial, habitual, and immovable attachment to it, accustoming yourselves to think and speak of it as of the palladium of your political safety and prosperity watching for its preservation with jealous anxiety, discountenancing whatever may suggest even a suspicion that it can in any event be abandoned, and indignantly frowning upon the first dawnings of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest or to enfeeble the sacred ties which now link together the various parts. Is there a doubt whether a common government can embrace so large a sphere? Let experience solve it. To listen to mere speculation in such a case were criminal. It is well worth a fair and experiment. With such powerful and obvious motives to union affecting all parts of our country, while experience shall not have demonstrated its impracticability. There will always be reason to distrust the patriotism of those who in any quarter may endeavor to weaken its bands. This government, the offspring of our own choice, uninfluenced and unawed, adopted upon full investigation and mature deliberation, completely free in its principles, in the distribution of its powers, uniting security and energy, and containing within itself a provision for its own amendment, has a just claim to your confidence and your support. Respect for its authority, compliance with its laws, acquiescence in its measures are duties enjoined by the fundamental maxims of true liberty. The basis of our political systems is the right of the people to make and to alter their constitutions of government. But the constitution which at any time exists till changed by the explicit and authentic act of the whole people, is the sacred obligatory upon all. The very idea that the power and the right of the people to establish government presupposes the duty 
of every individual to obey the established government. Now, I have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state, with particular reference to the founding of them on geographical discriminations. Let me now make a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. It is important otherwise that the habits of thinking in a free country should inspire caution in those entrusted with its administration to confine themselves within their respective constitutional spheres, avoiding in the exercise of the powers of one department to encroach upon another. The spirit of encroachment tends to consolidate the powers of all the departments in one, and thus to create, whatever the form of government, a real despotism. <clears throat> of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of particular structure, reason, and experience, both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. It is substantially true that virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. The rule indeed extends with more or less force to every species of free government. Who that is a sincere friend to it can look with indifference upon attempts to shake the foundation of the fabric? Promote, then as an object of primary importance, institutions for the general diffusion of knowledge. In proportion as the structure of a government gives force to public opinion, it is essential that public opinion should be enlightened. Observe good faith and justice towards all nations. Cultivate peace and harmony with all. In the execution of such a plan, nothing is more essential than that permanent, inveterate antipathies against particular nations and passionate attachments for others should be excluded, and that in place of them just and amicable feelings toward all should be cultivated. So, likewise, a passionate attachment of one nation for another produces a variety of evils. Sympathy for the favorite nation, facilitating the illusion of an imaginary common interest in cases where no real common interest exists, and infusing into one the enmities of the other, betrays the former into a participation in the quarrels and wars of the latter without adequate inducement or justification. Against the insidious wiles of foreign influence, 
<laughs> I conjure you to believe me, fellow citizens. The jealousy of a free people ought to be constantly awake, since history and experience prove that foreign influence is one of the most baneful foes of republican government. The great rule of conduct for us in regard to foreign nations is, in extending our commercial relations, to have with them as little political connection as possible. So far as we have already formed engagements, let them be fulfilled with perfect good faith. Here, let us stop. Europe has a set of primary interests which have to us have none or very remote relation. Hence, she must be engaged in frequent controversies, the causes of which are essentially foreign to our concerns. Hence, therefore, it must be unwise in us to implicate ourselves by artificial ties in the ordinary vicissitudes of her politics or the ordinary combinations and collisions of her friendships or enmities. Our detached and distant situation invites and enables us to pursue a different course. If we remain one people under an efficient government, the period is not far off when we may defy material injury from external annoyance when we may take such an attitude as will cause the neutrality we may at any time resolve upon to be scrupulously respected. When belligerent nations, under the impossibility of making acquisitions upon us, will not lightly hazard the giving us provocation, when we may choose peace or war as our interest guided by justice, shall counsel. Why forego the advantages of so particular, peculiar a situation? Why quit our own to stand upon foreign ground? Why, by interweaving our destiny with that of any part of Europe, entangle our peace and prosperity in the toils of European ambition, rivalships, interests, humor, or caprice? It is our true policy to steer clear of permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world. So far, I mean, as we are now at liberty to do it. For let me not be understood as capable of patronizing infidelity to existing engagements. I hold the maxim no less applicable to public than to private affairs that honesty is always the best policy. I repeat, therefore, let those engagements be observed in their genuine sense. But in my opinion, it is unnecessary and would be unwise to extend them. Though in reviewing the incidents of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. Whatever they may be, I fervently beseech the Almighty to avert or mitigate the evils 
to which they may tend. I shall also carry with me the hope that my country will never cease to view them with indulgence, and that after forty-five years of my life, dedicated to its service with upright zeal, the faults of incompetent abilities will be consigned to oblivion, as myself must soon be to the mansions of rest." Relying on its kindness in this as in other things, and actuated by that fervent love toward it, which is so natural to a man who views it in the native soil of himself and his progenitors for several generations, I anticipate with pleasing expectation that retreat in which I promise myself to realize without alloy the sweet enjoyment of partaking in the midst of my fellow citizens the benign influence of good laws under a free government, the ever-favorite object of my heart, and the happy reward, as I trust, of our mutual cares, labors, and dangers. George Washington's Farewell Address, 1796. Now, I must give credit to Alexander Hamilton, who helped George Washington write this. But it does tell so much about how these great men thought. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Remember, you are learning the truth. Tell your friends, speak with boldness, and keep your powder dry. <laughs>